Welcome to Canyon Hills. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be here this morning. If you can do me a favor and take the basket of pens and pass them through your aisle. This morning, we continue in our series on Vision 2020, and that's what God would have us do when it comes to our city, our neighborhood, the world, the nation. And today, we're going to be talking about what God would have us do in the world. And to start off, I want to share a quick story about a guy by the name of Antonio. I met Antonio down in Mexico, and we used to call him Tony the Tiger for a lot of reasons, but his actual name is Antonio. In fact, some of you here may remember Antonio. Antonio, before I met him, he had a wife and a family, and he had kids. <clears throat> and unfortunately, he started uh, doing drugs, and he became addicted to drugs thereafter. And then after that, to continue his addiction, he started selling drugs. And he did some terrible things because of that, and it landed him in a maximum security prison serving a life sentence. While in prison, he became so good at, at injecting other people that he became known as the doctor. And he was there for a long time. Miles away from that prison, there was a church who had a prison ministry. And this church had found so much favor in God's eyes that they were the only church allowed to hold a Sunday service at this maximum security prison. Talk about finding, God, finding God's favor. Now, miles away from this church in the U.S., there is a church who was compelled to help churches like in Mexico. And they wanted to help, and they wanted to transition them to greater ministry. They, want, they helped start the church. They helped start this prison ministry. And it, it was at one of these services that Antonio heard the message of Christ for the first time down in Mexico in this prison, in this service on a Sunday and it was that day that Antonio gave his life over to Christ for the first time. And instead of being, you know, the, the doctor, as they called him, he, he went from doing that, injecting people heroin, to preaching about God. Soon thereafter, he got this miraculous news that he was going to be released early from this maximum security prison, serving the life sentence, thus the miracle part. And he rejoiced, but he was scared to death at the same time. You see, his family would have nothing to do with him. His kids wouldn't talk to him. He didn't know what was going to happen to him. He didn't know where he was going to go. So that pastor that preached that message in that service said, come with us. We'll take you in. We'll help restore you back into society. And so he went. And in exchange for lodging at this church, he became the security guard. And through this process, he, he learned more about God, and he was discipled. That's when you start learning more about God. And he started preaching the word out in the streets, and he started a hospital visitation ministry. And then he met a lady at the church, and he married her. I would say God restored Antonio back to, back to life, if you will. The last time I heard Tony speak, he was giving a message outdoors to about 100 people. And he was telling them that he was the lowest of the low and that if God can restore a man like him and give him a wife and a future and a hope and a church that loved him, that if he could do that for him, the least of these, then he can certainly do it for the rest of them. And that day, about 20 people gave their lives over to Christ because of Antonio's message. Antonio lasted about six years out of prison. But the things that he had done to his body took a toll on him, and his, and his body started to fail. And unfortunately, Antonio passed away last summer. But not before God restored him and gave him a future and a hope and a wife and a family and a, and a church family. It was amazing what God did through him. And again, I would say that God used Antonio in amazing ways. 
So as we talk about Vision 2020 and what God would have us do specifically in our world as a church and as individuals, we have to start by asking ourselves a very fundamental question this morning. And that is, whose job is it to reach the people like Antonio with the message of Christ? And I would imagine that any answer you come up with would be correct. It's a missionary's job. Maybe it was a, that pastor. Maybe it was that ministry, that you know, prison ministry. Maybe it was his friends, his family. And, and, you, and you would be correct. But, but I always contemplate all of these things, and I start to ask myself, and I want you to ask yourself, what would have happened if that church didn't have a prison ministry? Who then would have given the message of Christ to Antonio? What would have happened, take that further, what would have happened if that pastor who planted that church in Mexico would have said, no, it's not me you're speaking to God, send someone else? Or what would have happened if that church in the U.S., by the way, that's you, would have said, no, that's not important to us, that's not our mission, that's not our vision, let somebody else do it? Folks, it's not a rhetorical question. There's an answer to that, and, and I know we know the answer to that question. And the, and the answer is that it's our responsibility. We are called to save the lost in the world. Because the Bible makes it very clear that pure religion that is pleasing to the Father is this, to look after the orphans and the widows in their distress. And of course, the Bible uses orphans and widows, but that's not an exclusive list. There's other people that we can add to that list. The disenfranchised, the lost, the people that don't know Christ, the people that are hurting. <clears throat> the Bible also makes it clear that we are to look after what he, the Bible calls, or Jesus calls, because that's Jesus' words, the least of these. And he gives us a continuing list of, that include the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, those needing clothes. Did I say the stranger again? The sick, the prisoner. But the reality of it is when we hear of these scriptures and when we talk about what we're talking about and reaching people like Antonio, we often go, I often go, I should say, maybe you can relate, that it's somebody else's job. Send someone else. And I think part of the problem is that as society, I think we're becoming immune we're becoming immune to so many injustices and so much suffering that it's all around us, so we start to get used to it. And, and we don't lament as a society anymore. You know, lament is a really profound and deep word that the Bible talks about. It's, lamenting is when you express sorrow or remorse or when, you, or when you passionately mourn or grieve or even weep for some of the suffering and some of the injustices and the loss. You know, today's world is full of lament-worthy situations. Instead, again, I'm talking personally, but maybe you can relate. Our tendency is that when we're confronted with the suffering and with this injustice, we tend to go to these quick-fix solutions, and we want to avoid the topic altogether because the truth is, some of those topics are really uncomfortable. And we want to pursue our, our, our pursuit of the American dream, and we don't want to be you know, raise awareness of all these injustice. and that. So instead, we, we just kind of want to avoid the topic altogether. We don't want anything to get in the way of our American dream. And what most Americans want is that to be happy. But you see, lament, it interrupts your narrative because it, that's the only way that hope is going to be born. 
But lament, you see, is not this passive act. And many Christians hear the word lament and they think they have to feel bad about something. And, and to some degree, that's true. We say, you know, how sad that those people lost their lives. How sad that that shooter had mental illness. How sad, how sad that those, you know, all of these things that we're sad about. But lament moves beyond the feelings and, the, and cries out when things aren't right. Lament says, this is not the way things are supposed to be. Lament voices the prayers of the suffering and compels us to respond. Lament, you see, is the first step. Lament sees a situation like Antonio and the hundreds of kids that I see in Mexico and the Philippines and cries out to God on their behalf. And it doesn't stop there. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus had some final instructions for his disciples before he ascended one last time into heaven. And I want you to imagine with me how important these words would have been to the disciples at that point. Because for the last three years when Jesus was on earth, through his ministry, these disciples were devoted to Jesus. They were his constant companion. They had seen and heard all the teachings. They had seen all the miracles. The Bible says that they were witnesses to the glory of God. They were there when he brought people back from the dead, when he turned water into, into wine, he, when he made the blind see, when he made the, the lame walk. They were there when this man filled with legions of demons was instantly delivered by Jesus. They were there when this woman was hemorrhaging was instantly healed by just touching Jesus. They were there for all of these miracles and all of these teachings. But they were also there when Jesus was betrayed by Judas. And they watched in horror. He was taken captive, and, and he was led outside, and then they put a, 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 this crown of thorns on his head. And they witnessed the blood, and, and they watched in horror as they crucified him, and, and they drove spikes in his hands and his feet. They were there. And I'm sure they were close enough to hear those last words, to hear his final breath, to hear that final sigh when he said, it is finished. And I'm sure as they put his lifeless body in the tomb, their hopes were ruined. Their dreams were gone. Then some women came out, and, and they were looking for Jesus in the tomb, and, and, and they saw that he was missing, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and there was this risen Savior that said, Go. Go tell my disciples. I want to meet with them in my favorite place, that favorite mountain in Galilee. Go tell them to go because I have some final instructions for them. And Jesus shows up to Galilee, and he appeared. And, and can you imagine the anticipation again that the disciples had when he appeared to them? And he spoke to them. And in essence, what he said that day to them, he said, you know, my mission is now complete. And now it's your turn. It's your turn to do something just like the Father gave me a mission and a purpose for my life. Now it is your turn to go. And God has given you a mission and a purpose for your life. And that's essentially what he said. But then he said specific instructions that I'm about to share with you, but I'm going to stay with you with two of those words that he shared with them that day. The first word that he said is that he said, therefore. Remember, they've been doing, been doing ministry for three years, so he says, in spite of all that you've heard, in spite of all that you've seen and all that you've learned, because, therefore, because of all that you have experienced, for that reason, consequently, in conclusion, therefore, Go. 
And I want to stay there for a second. Therefore, go. He said, one of you, one of you should tell people like Antonio the message of Christ. One of you should go in and, and help him and teach him to obey my commands. One of you should go and restore him. One of you should go and give him a hope and a future. He said, therefore, go. And folks, I know it's difficult because I, when I think of this message myself, I can think of a thousand reasons as to why somebody else should go instead of me. Yet I will tell you that the greatest threat to spreading the gospel and listening to these words, therefore go, is treating this like mere information. James, Jesus' brother, said this, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied with action, is dead. Faith without works is not faith at all. Because feet go and hands do. And the mission and the purpose that Jesus gave his disciples that day is, to, and is this passage of scripture that is in your outline, and that is to go into all the nations and preach the gospel of the good news to every single creature. And those disciples took that message and those words of Jesus, and, and, and they burned that mission and that vision into their hearts in such a way that they had a passion and a seal to, to just go. They went and spread the good news of Christ in spite of persecution, in spite of resistance and opposition. They took that message of the gospel of Christ to the entire known world. And they were so devoted to the person of Jesus that seven out of the 11 disciples gave their lives away as martyrs by spreading this message of Christ. They were the hands and feet. And like we said, feet shouldn't sit still, and hands shouldn't remain idle because feet go and hands do. And since that time, 2,000 years ago, when Jesus first uttered those words, there's been men and women of every generation, just like you and me, that have gone out and spread the word of God and the gospel of Christ and the good news to, to the entire world. You see, these words of Jesus, these last final instructions, these marching orders, if you will, is what's called the Great Commission. So when we talk about Canyon Hills and our vision for the world, specifically in 2020, I have to just share with you that that vision hasn't changed for 29 years because it is the same as the Great Commission from 2,000 years ago. And this is what Jesus says in Matthew 28, the Great Commission. It's in your outlines. Therefore, go. Again, there's two profound words. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And comes with the promise, surely I will be with you to the very end of the age. They were marching orders. They were marching orders 2,000 years ago, and they are your same marching orders today. To go with the good news of the gospel. And we've gone as a church. We've made it our mission to unleash compassion is one of our core values. And we've gone wherever God has sent us, and we've done this. And we've learned so many things along the way that are important to us. So I want to share with you some of those things that are important to us for our mission policy here at Canyon Hills that you get to participate. 
And the first one is that we go where God sends us. You know, since I've been the, what I call the missions guy here at Canyon Hills, it's been over 15 years. I, I, I lose track, but it's been a, a quite a while. We've sent teams to Ecuador, to Guatemala, to India, to Ireland, to Mexico, to Cambodia, and of course, you've heard of the Philippines. And I, and I still remember the first time I was called to become the missions guy and how excited I, I was to, to go to these, what I would deem these cool and exotic places like Africa and Europe. And I'm like, we're going to go there, but that's not where God opened doors. And you need to know that I, I didn't even want to go to Juarez, Mexico. That's the last place I wanted to go. Yet that's where God has allowed us to see the most fruit because we go where God sends us, not where we want to go. And as part of the Great Commission, the other thing that is important to us is that whenever possible, we're going to plant the church when it comes to world missions. But before that, I, I want to share with you, we have several missionaries that we support. I, mean, I think you should get to know them. They're amazing people. They're doing an amazing work. And you should get to know some of the, mission, some of the missionaries that we support. And when I say support, that means that annually we give them financial assistance so they can carry out the mission and the vision that God has placed in their heart for their mission field. The first one is Kathy Ireland. I told you we send a team out to Ireland. Kathy is one of the missionaries there, and uh, we, we've been involved with her for like 20 years and helping her, uh, you know, support her financially. And, and I have to tell you about Kathy because the, her predecessor, the last missionary, I met with him, and he, he, he had a church of about 20 people, and he had been a missionary for about 20 years. That's about one person per year. That's how difficult the mission field is in Ireland. Catholicism is so ingrained in them that evangelical Christianity is just so far-fetched for them that, that it's just difficult to do. So she's made it her life mission to reach out to these people. Her predecessor retired there, lives there. She plans to retire there and live there. They're, they're missionaries that are committed to that mission field. The other couple that, that we support is the Giron family. This is Edwin and Maria Giron and their son Isaac. Now, they were stationed in Aguascalientes, and we've been supporting them out in Mexico. And the reason I say were is because they just took a position, a staff position, to be associate pastors over at Yerba Linda Friends, the Spanish-speaking church. So they're on their way back, but we've been supporting that mission field as well. And of course, we support the mission field in Cambodia. And the Swartz are there along with some other families. And this is Scott and Andrea and their two kids. And talk about a difficult mission field. I have to tell you, it is one of the most difficult things to reach out to people that have been ravaged by multiple religions. They have to deal with the, the, the after effects of genocide. They have to deal with Hinduism and Buddhism. And for them, they have multi, they're called polytheists where they believe in a lot of different things. How do you reach them with the message of Christ? In fact, some of them know the, the name of Jesus. They just think he's a cool guy, and they'll be happy if you compel them to, to add him to their list of people that they worship. And we wish we could support more missionaries, but you should know which ones we support. The other one is Ben Vale, who was here a couple of weeks ago telling you about what he does. He works for InterVarsity. He's stationed at Cal State Fullerton here local. But to us, that's World Missions, just going to Fullerton and, and Fullerton College. And he's doing an amazing job. And I love hearing from him and talking to him because every single time we talk, there's new students giving their life to Christ as a result of that ministry. And that's why those are important to us because we see the fruit in their ministries. And again, I wish we could support more. But our bigger support goes to church planting world missions, which is why we're more active in Juarez and the Philippines. 
You know, church planting has been part of our vision here for, for so long that we strive to plant churches wherever possible. One of them you've heard of over and over again because we keep going there, and that's Pastor Sergio. And Pastor Sergio down in Juarez, Mexico, has already planted his first church. It's about 15 miles away from where he's at. They started at 20 people last year. They're at about 30 people today. And he's doing an amazing job. And soon, you've heard, part of our vision is to plant another church in El Paso through him. He's planting it. We're helping. So that's important to us, that we plant churches as part of the Great Commission. The other thing that is really important to us is that we build long-term relationships. And to build long-term relationships, that means that we have to be there long-term, which is one of the reasons we don't do one-off trips to Europe and, and Africa, because long-term relationships are really important to us. We want to learn how to help people. We want to understand their culture. We want to know how to overcome barriers. And that's difficult to do if you just go once. And there's nothing wrong with, with what I would call cultural submersion mission trips. Nothing wrong with that. That's a lot of great kingdom work. But that's just not what we do. God has called us to do something different. Quick example is, you know, I was born and raised in Mexico. I think most of you know that. And yet, in dealing with Pastor Sergio and his wife Nancy, it took me years to truly get them to open up and build a relationship, to truly understand the struggles they were facing in ministry. Because these things take a long time. Of course, this is Pastor Sergio and his wife, Nancy. And, and with that, I, I want to take this opportunity as well to, that, to let especially the men know that we have a mission trip coming up, that if God compels you and want to know more about it, come talk to me after the service out in the table, September 26th through the 29th. And I won't tell you much about it except to let you know that if you go, your life will be changed forever. So take a look at that as you walk outside. So that's important to us, church planting. The other thing that's important to us is that we always help transition churches and what we call into greater ministry. And what that means to me is we're like consultants. We go there with an open mind, and again, we, we try to understand their culture and see what obstacles they're facing to ministry, and we come together with them and come up with ideas and plans and programs so that they can overcome those obstacles so that they can transition into greater ministry. And again, this is something that can only happen through a long-term relationship if we keep going over and over and over again. In fact, this is a picture of Pastor Chris and Sonia de la Cruz. They are our missionaries, the national directors of all of the churches in the Philippines. And I have to tell you a quick story about that, talking about long-term relationships and transitioning into greater ministry. You know, for a while there, we discovered that there was some power struggles. And of course, we wouldn't have found any of that out had we not been there consistently in long term. And we had the unpleasant task of removing the previous leadership and replacing it with Chris. And along the process, we lost some churches, we lost some leadership. But because of that, we established what you guys keep hearing about every single time, which is a leadership retreat that you and I host down in the Philippines. Because we felt that it was important to bring all of these pastors together for the purposes of unity and for the purposes of encouraging them and training them and equipping them and just lifting them up and letting them know that we are with them. That was like six years ago. In fact, here's a picture of some of those pastors in the Philippines. This is just not all of them. I couldn't find the picture of all of them in the same place, but they're amazing people. They're poorer than a lot more people that I know, and yet they're faithful to go and preach the good news of the gospel in remote villages that are hard to get to. It's amazing. That happened about six years ago, that, that leadership change that we had. 
But I have to tell you that today the Philippines is thriving. They are planting churches. They're up to 18 along with outreaches. And it's all through the leadership of Chris and Sonia de la Cruz. So transitioning people to greater ministry is really important to us as a church when it comes to world mission. The other thing that's really important and one of my personal things that is important to me but also as a church is that we build dignity and not dependency. In fact, most of the big projects that we complete, especially long-term projects, we will not do anything without the local church having skin in the game. So we come up with plans like a four-to-one match where we say, hey, if you raise one dollar, we'll match four dollars because we know they're poor, but we want them to participate because we've discovered that that is the only way anyone is going to be self-sustaining in the long term. In fact, the the Philippines is coming to that status in their life when they're going to become self-sustaining. They're not there yet, but they will be soon because of the leadership and, and some of the things that we're trying to instill there so that we won't have to continue to help them financially over and over again. And one day we're going to sit here and celebrate that we're not in the Philippines anymore because they're walking on their own. Amazing things that are happening there. Then the other thing that we do that's important to us and we discovered along the way is that while we're on mission, if you go on a mission trip with us, we're always going to seek God's leading. And I tell you that because we've always had a plan. We're going to Mexico in a, in a couple, in a few weeks, and we have a plan for what's exactly what's going to happen. But once we're there, we want to tell everyone the good news of Christ. Participate in the Great Commission. Go and preach the gospel to all the nations. But we've discovered that people won't listen to you if they are hungry and they're thirsty and they're sick or they're hot or they're cold. And then you start thinking about it. What if someone accepts Christ? What's going to happen to them? Who's going to, what we call, disciple them, meaning they're going to help them learn more of our Christ after they accept Christ? So because of that, we've helped those churches create feeding programs, and we support their feeding programs, and we help them start schools, and we support their schools, and we've done VBSs, vacation Bible schools, and we've done vocational schools and marriage seminars when there's marriage issues, and we've done medical clinics, a lot of medical issues, and we've done hair clinics, and the list goes on and on and on because we have to adjust to what the needs of the people are. You know, I still recall the first time I went down to Mexico and we had this awesome vacation Bible school. Kids were having a great time and they were, we were playing and singing and playing games and telling them stories. But I could know because I know because I've been there. I, I knew that some of these kids were hungry. And I'm like, how can we play with them and tell them these great stories and then we're going to send them off hungry? Just doesn't seem right, does it? So we started a feeding program. And I still recall going to the Philippines and we hiked up basically two hours into this village where there's about 800 people in this village. Why they're there and they don't come down the mountain, I don't know, don't ask me. But I do know that they harvest coconut and they live there and these families multiply, have a bunch of kids and they don't go to school past sixth grade because they have to hike up and down. Some of them do, most of them don't. And I'm like, God, this is too big of a task. What can we possibly do up here? They invite us to eat at this house primitive, no sewer, no, no running water. They're burning wood to cook for us, and their house is filled with smoke as they cook fish that they just caught in the stream so that they could feed us. And you're like, God, there's nothing we can do here. I mean, even if we throw money here, there's not enough money to make a difference. He says, well, plant the church. So guess what? You and I, along with the Philippines pastors, planted a church in this village of 800 people Going up a mountain two hours, for them it takes an hour, for me it takes two. <laughs> and it is the first Friends Church 
up in this area. Folks, that, that to me is amazing that God can do stuff like that. But going requires energy, willingness, resources. It requires, yes, it requires money. It takes work. It was Jesus himself who said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. There are so many people in this world that need to know the name of Jesus and need to hear the good news. So I ask you this morning to join me in praying. Join me in praying to the Lord of the harvest to send the workers into the field. Because in order to do that, it takes work and it takes laborers. And I just have to throw this out there. Because I know that in my life, I know that God is strong enough to pull you out of any pit that you may find yourself in. But he's also given us a freedom. And God is not going to pull you out or pull me out out of our lazy boy chairs. And the truth of the matter is that God is not going to make you go. It is a decision that we must make for ourselves. We decide if these words are going to be taken seriously by us. That means a willingness to go wherever he sends. Do you know that there's 7.6 billion people in the world today? 3.2 billion, about 3.2 billion of them, or about 41% of them, have not been reached. That means they haven't heard the message of Christ. 17,000 are people groups in the nation today. 42% of those have been unreached. That is over 7 billion people of every nation, of every tongue, of, of every tribe, of every skin color, of every race. And here's a very important point. God loves each and every one of these 7.6 billion people. No matter where we stand in our beliefs about anything else, political or not, Every person is important to God, and every person deserves the opportunity to hear the message of Christ, and every person deserves to be in eternity in heaven with you and I and Jesus. Remember those words, for God so loved, what? The world. Not just the U.S., not just me. For God so loved the world that he gave his begotten son that they may be saved. So again, I ask you, whose responsibility is it to bring the good news of Christ to all of these people? Because as we sit here this morning, there's over 1 billion people that are going to go to bed hungry tonight because of malnutrition. In this last hour alone, 1,600 children were forced to live on the streets. 115 children became prostitutes. 257 children were orphaned because of HIV or AIDS. As you know, most of the world does not have access to basic health care. And for millions of people around the world, the only world that they know is a world torn apart by all kinds of violence and destruction. And again, God cares for these people. He loves them as much as he loves you and he loves me. And he has called us to be his hands and his feet and to alleviate as much suffering as possible. And to me, every time I hear these statistics, and every time I even go just to one mission field, it just seems too big for me. That's because it is too big for me. But if we can save one person, would we still do it? And of course, the answer is yes. So for, for our vision and what we want to accomplish in 2020, 
Of course, we're going to continue to participate in the Great Commission through long-term relationships and church planting, but we're also contemplating finding, training, developing, and sending a missionary into Asia. It'll be our first missionary, and I'm calling it right now. Then let me tell you why we're going to do that. Because two out of every people in the world today live in Asia. And about 70% of all of these Asians have never heard of the name Jesus. And the ones that have, like I told you, they'll be happy to add them to the list if you compel them to the list of religions. You know, when I, when I was in Cambodia, this was back in February, uh, the local tour guide was showing us around, and I had such a hard time understanding his English. And, then he, and he found out that I, that I spoke Spanish. He thought I was from Spain. That's the closest they can relate to it. They don't even know where Mexico is. And he starts speaking to me in Spanish, and his Spanish was better than his English, so we started to talk. And he started to tell us all about all of these wonderful temples and Angkor Wat. If you've never been there, you've got to go check that out. It's amazing. And he told us how over the centuries it went from Hinduism to Buddhism and back and forth, and they just keep changing hands. And then I said, when I finally had the opportunity, I said, hey, do you know who Jesus is? And he says, Jesus? Yeah, I have a Bible app. I go, that's awesome. You know, they were telling me that it was so hard to reach people. I'm like, there it is. I just reached one. Come on, how easy could that be? I mean, how hard can that be? And he, until he told me that, yeah, I am Buddhist first and then Hindu. He gave me percentages, by the way. Buddhist first, Hindu, Christian was third in line. It was about 10% Christian, so we had a lot to work on there. And then the other 10% was, he didn't call it this, but it's called animistic, where you believe in the spiritual world. In fact, most Cambodians have a spirit house in front of their house to appease the spirits. Folks, there's people that don't know Jesus. To say that they need help is to put it mildly. And, and again, I'm not saying that we're going to go out and we're going to save the world, but folks, we can do our part. And God has been blessing us when we do our part. When I was about 12 years old, I had recently came over from Mexico. There was this lady, I wish I could remember her name, but today she is known by our family as a crazy white lady. And let me, re let me explain that to you for a second before you. She used to come over to our house, pick my mother and I, drive us back to her house, and she would have a Bible study for the ladies, throw all the kids in a room so that they could play, feed us donuts. And here's the crazy part. She didn't even speak Spanish. And the Bible study was in Spanish. That's why we call her the crazy white lady. And she would drive us to service on Sunday. I don't even remember the churches. I was 12. And it was one of those services that I accepted Christ into my heart. And as I think back of all these questions that I had for myself, I started thinking, who, did, who was that person who listened to these instructions, these final marching orders in my life that made a difference in my life? And it was this lady. I went back to this lady that I don't know her name today. She had a passion and this seal, and she must have had compassion on us, or else she wouldn't have done all of that that she did. Folks, I, I, I want to be more like her. Mine is the white crazy part, but I, I definitely want to be more like her. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I want to share this with you this morning as I close. There was an argument in the Corinthian church, an argument between the people of the church that were saying two things. You guys know the Apostle Paul? They were saying, you know, Paul is better. And some other people would say, oh, no, Apollos, another person there that was helping him, Apollos is better. It's sort of like today saying, hey, who do you guys like better in the, from the stage when he preaches? Do you guys like David better? Do you guys like Larry better? Do you guys like Carlos? That's the arguments that they were having. 
And I was going to close by compelling you to, to go and send and pray, and I still want you to do that, but then I recall these words that Paul, this response that Paul had to this Corinthian church as a result of their argument. And this is what he told them, and this is what I want to close with. What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field. You are God's building. So as I close this morning, I, I want to ask you to do one thing, and that is to pray as to what God would have you do as a result of hearing the message of the Great Commission. And as I pray, I first want us to pray for, for one thing, is that we are able to plant these words of Jesus, these marching orders, these final instructions, that we would be able to plant them in our hearts in such a way that we wouldn't be able to shake them. That's a bold prayer if you join me in that, because God is faithful to answer that prayer. And then I want you to pray that God will reveal what task he has for you. It may not be tomorrow. It may not be next year. But if you pray for it, it'll come to pass like it did for me. Mine took 10 years. Are you a planter? Are you a waterer? You're one of each or both. Every single one of you. And then we're going to come together and that you would pray that we are able to see God make things grow as a result of your faithfulness and mine. You see, I believe there's people here today that are going to go. You just don't know it yet. I don't have to compel you. God makes things grow in your heart. I believe there are people here that are going to support the Great Commission by ideas and contacts and resources and administration and prayer and, yes, giving. I can tell you, Tons of stories of people that have come to me and said, Carlos, I have this. And I'm like, you do? They've been praying for that over there or over there. And God will compel you if you listen to him. Folks, this church has been planting churches for 29 years. And we've seen God make things grow. Join us because you are God's field. You are God's building. You are his hands and his feet. And feet shouldn't sit still and hands shouldn't be idle because feet go and hands do. Will you pray with me? Father, we come before you this morning and Lord, I don't know. You know. You do what you do. Speak to your people. If you feel God talking to you right now, I just... I just pray and I encourage you that in your heart, silently, that you would respond to him. I'm going to give you some moments of silence here as the music plays, that you would just come before God and that you would pray for these things on your own. Do that now.
Father, your word promises that you will be with us to the very ends of the age, that you will never leave us nor forsake us. Lord, so as people right now are compelled to respond to you and you are faithful to respond to them, Lord, I pray that according to your perfect will and purpose for their life, that you will respond to them in in your due time. Father, that they would be able to plant these words that you said through the Great Commission, these final instructions, these marching orders into their hearts and in such a way that they wouldn't be able to shake them, in such a way that when they walk out of these doors, Father, that they would be compelled to make a difference in whatever capacity you're asking them to do. You are faithful to be praised. So allow your people to commune with you, respond to them, speak to them. Father, people are hurting this morning. Minister to them. You are so good to us. Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.